Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. I like the sound of that. Hey everybody, welcome to Star Wars Fun for Everyone, especially me, I am your host Tom Sutton. Let's do it, Star Wars Fun begins right now. Um, it was really fun last week with Star Wars uh, Week, uh, I guess following on from Star Wars Day. I had, uh, man, it was, it was good times. You know, I think that there are things in your life that don't uh, necessarily contribute to... Um, to kind of like forwarding your life in any way, uh, things that uh, don't achieve anything, and you can some there, there can be a feeling inside you sometimes where you feel like I shouldn't be um, spending so much time or energy on this since um, I'm not producing something, I'm not achieving anything, and um, I love Star Wars, but I'm not involved with Star Wars, and um, sometimes it feels like you know I should be should be concentrating I should be writing a song or learning like improving my abilities in a different language or something you know quote unquote useful I think that was why um so in 2008 uh when I was living in Japan they had uh the you know Star Wars Celebration Japan and strangely enough my um my friend Mickey who I uh my nickname for her was Mickey the Hut um she actually had to convince me to go to that which, looking back now, is just total insanity. <laughs> I can't believe she had to convince me to go. Um, yeah, I, I just remember, like, I mean, it's not that I love Star Wars any less, really, but I just, I'm not sure that, um, you know, the geek community wasn't what it was, it wasn't what it is now at all. And... Um, I just wasn't sure that that was going to be, you know, something fun for me. Um, it turned out to be three of the most fun days I've ever had in my entire life. Um, and I think part of it was the kind of um, being in that situation at a Star Wars convention for three days straight, you're literally surrounded by people who are specifically there to talk Star Wars, to think about Star Wars and enjoy Star Wars. And so guess what? If you want to talk about Star Wars, you can talk about Star Wars all day from morning to night. And you don't have to feel like um, like you're wasting your time, wasting other people's time or kind of, um, kind of uh, pushing your luck with regards to how much they can talk about Star Wars or put up with you talking about Star Wars. Um, yeah, I man, I had a good time. Um, so I, I guess what I'm saying is like last week, you know, feeling like I had the, the, uh, the permission from myself to just uh, go full Star Wars. It was great. But yeah, back to Celebration Japan. This is a nice opportunity for me to kind of reflect on that. Um, I don't know if you listening have ever been to uh, like a convention of that type or even a, uh, a Star Wars celebration. But um, man, it was good times. Uh, this was, of course, uh, after the prequel trilogy had finished up and it was on the eve of the, re of the release of The Clone Wars. And uh, we actually got a preview 
I believe. I don't think they showed a whole episode. I seem to remember them showing, but I, if it was a trailer or a kind of like a, a convention exclusive or whatever, but um, it was really exciting. Um, Mark Hamill did a panel and I mean, how can you not love Mark Hamill? That was great fun. Um, another couple of, you know, things that I really, really enjoyed were, um, uh, I don't know if they are all from Belgium, but I know that there's a, um, there's a group of people from Belgium who build, uh, like life-size prop replicas basically. And, uh, so they had a speeder bike, uh, and, um, was there an ad at there? Man, it's been a while, uh, but that's kind of what I remember. And then if you know me uh, or you are familiar with me on social media, you might have seen a photo of me sitting on Jabba's throne right next to Jabba the Hutt and Salacious Crumb. And um, it's weird. Like that, I don't know. If you described it to me, I might be like, "Eh, that sounds cool enough, I guess. But when when I was there, it was just like a, a joyous experience. And uh, two other fun things that um, that we experienced was, uh, of course, you can pay for the chance to uh, get photos with certain people. So, um, <laughs> okay, hey, so uh, I and Mickey the Hut, um, we picked, we we decided to do two of them together. Um, one of them was the two Darths. So it was David Prowse and Ray Park. And uh, the funny thing is we were in line, you know, waiting for uh, this to happen. And we could see that like, okay, it's supposed to have started, but the line is not moving. And the line continued to uh, stay completely stationary for some time. And then we saw Ray Park kind of turn up looking a bit flustered. And he had um, maybe due to jet lag or something fallen asleep in his hotel room. Uh, but we got in there and we we got it done, and so uh, I still have this amazing photo of Mickey and myself and David Prowse and Ray Park, which is super nice. And um, the other one, which is even nicer, I would say, it was um, we got a photo with Mark Hamill. Uh, Mickey brought a um, a Luke in uh, Stormtrooper armor action figure with her. So she's holding this action figure in the air like a super cool person because uh, that's what we, we both are. And um, so I don't know uh, if you are aware of this. Um, so some of you might have seen a show called Metalocalypse. Great animated show, really, really entertaining. Uh, but Mark Hamill has uh, done voice work on there. And um, as we took the photo... I had to throw the horns and I yelled, Metalocalypse! Or Death Clock! I don't know. One of those two. And and Mark Hamill goes, without missing a beat, looking at my horned finger position, is that a gang sign? (laughs) Awesome. So it's... um, I have to say, if you uh, get the chance to go to a Star Wars celebration, uh, not all of us are geographically or financially gifted enough to make it. But if you get the chance, go do it because you're probably going to have a bloody good time. Now, uh, I have just finished watching episode three of uh, Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, which is the uh, behind the scenes series. Uh, taking a look at the making of the Mandalorian, um, it's 
they keep on kicking goals with this show. It's great. Um, as I've said before, some of my favorite stuff ever is behind the scenes stuff. And um, yeah, this was a good one. This was uh, focusing on the actors. Uh, it was lovely to uh, hear Gina Carano speak so fondly of uh, Carl Weathers and his, uh, his abilities and presence as an actor. That was great. Lovely to see uh, Pedro Pascal talking about... This. <laughs> yeah, apparently he um, walked face first, face first into uh, like a piece of plywood or something and cut his nose open. And he, w- he was about to shoot this, uh, this scene, you know, when they take his helmet off and his face is all bloody. He's got blood coming out of his ears. And uh, he walked face first into this piece of wood and split his nose open and had to go to the emergency room. But of course, he was also made up with all this fake blood. So apparently, as soon as he walked through the door, they were, let this guy through, you know. Um, That was a fun story. Um, Gina Carano, I always, uh, I love hearing her talking about her experience. Um, But I got to say that there's still something visually about the character that doesn't say Star Wars to me. I don't know if it's like the hair is too modern looking or, you know, my my theory is that it could be that she seems to be wearing basically like a t-shirt. Um, correct me if, my, if I'm wrong. If you're listening to this and you can be bothered, um, have we ever seen like a t-shirt outfit on a Star Wars character. I mean, we've got like Luke on Dagobah, but it's a tank top. The shoulders are exposed. And um, Gina Carano's outfit, um, I think it's partly that it's got this big like kind of like almost like American football silhouette to it, which to me doesn't say Star Wars. And something about the fact, like they showed some concept art of the character. And uh, in the concept art, the shoulders are are exposed under those shoulder uh, pads, and um, that to me looked a little bit more Star Warsy somehow. Yep, I, I feel bad saying it because uh, Gina Carano in interviews has actually talked about how she how much she loved the outfit and how um, yeah she felt super comfortable in it and it really helped her find the character perfectly. So um, yeah, but having said that, she's awesome. Um, I, re- I think she's super likable. Um, so yeah, that was another really fun, uh, another fun episode of that show. We're gonna get uh, back a little bit to um, to that behind the scenes stuff in a second. But before that, of course, there have been some huge rumors dropping about the casting for season two. Um, I don't want to go super much into it because. Um, they are still rumors. Like, yeah, they're coming from repu- reputable so- sources. So there's a good chance that this is actually, um, that this news is accurate and correct. And uh, But but I, I feel like we won't know until there's an announcement made or until we see the episodes. Um, if you are avoiding uh, any informational spoilers for season two, listen away now. But I'm going to... To have a quick look at it in any case. All right. Maybe the most exciting recent one is the rumor that Tamara Morrison, uh, our friend from New Zealand, may in fact be uh, joining the cast. Now, 
The rumor is that he is going to be playing Boba Fett. You may remember in season, in episode five that uh, there was a quick shot of a pair of feet, some uh, spur sound effects, and uh, of course the, um, the speculation was that uh, that was in fact Boba Fett straight out of Sarlacc pit. Um, so yeah, I if when people react like, but who's dead? Like I have to think like. I mean, it's not much of a stretch to think that he got out of there. Um, I, I listened to a lovely interview with um, someone, uh, I can't even remember who it was, but he uh, he actually borrowed a member of the 501st's Boba Fett outfit uh, for a convention uh, just to kind of get a feeling for what, what it's like to walk around in costume. And um, he described a lovely moment when uh, a child approached him and said, um, how can you be here? Aren't you dead? Uh, weren't you in the, didn't you like fall down into the Sarlacc pit? And this guy kind of bent down and said to the child, I have a jetpack." And I thought, <laughs> perfect response. Very fetish. All right. So, um, listen, I love Boba Fett. I um I mean I don't I think it's weird, you know, you see you see like some uh, like people who you know kind of anti-fett um sentiment online and I have to assume it's just that you know certain uh, people were so into him and so like that there was this cult that grew up around the character and that um it, if I think that if you didn't grow up uh in the 80s with that character then and if you're looking at the um if you're looking at the uh the character kind of you know from a more uh, recent perspective you may go like well, I mean what happened like like how much did he do how much was he on screen like should we really be that excited about Boba Fett I mean, yeah uh but yeah, I think especially if you were a kid during that that era, everyone loved Bob, Boba Fett, and it was kind of, it was almost the like uh, the cool, um, I know more than you character to like in the Star Wars galaxy. Like, you know, we all liked Luke and Han and Leia and Chewie, etc. But if you're a little bit cool, if you really kind of like, yeah, I'm a I'm a real real Star Wars fan, you would say like, I love Boba Fett. So, uh, yeah, if they can bring him back and use him well and, you know, give you a bit more of the character in a way that really f- sits alongside his um, his uh, original trilogy kind of um, persona, then I'm totally up for it. Uh, that would be cool. Another one was that uh, the actress Katie Sackhoff may be in, involved in season two of The Mandalorian playing the character Bo-Katan. Now, I would say, like, that sounds pretty likely in a way. We've already heard that uh, that Rosera Dawson will likely play um, uh, Ahsoka Tano in, the, in, that, se- in that series. Um, they, uh, Ahsoka and Bo-Katan have a relationship. Would not be weird. Uh, some people are a bit concerned that this is uh, basically uh, 
you know, a lot of people really responded well to the way that The Mandalorian was it like a simple, a simple story with brand new characters t- uh, told in a very tight way, and that it was a break from all this heavy uh, plot and heavy lore, you know, that um, has of course grown up around Star Wars over the years. That's part of why we love Star Wars. But a lot of people love that The Mandalorian was removed from all that and was nice and simple. And um, some people are concerned that, oh, now we're bringing in all these established characters. There's, uh, it's going to be like, you know, one thing that The Mandalorian really succeeded with was bringing in casual fans who did, don't know every single thing about uh, about the uh, the saga or don't know every step of the story. Uh, it didn't matter. You could step into that and just uh, follow along. You won't. You wouldn't miss anything. It feels a little bit like if you're gonna have um, Ahsoka and Bo-Katan, then you you're gonna a little bit get a bit of that. Like, oh well, now you need to watch like 200 episodes of animated Star Wars in order to really understand where those characters are from and what the deal is with them. Now, I. Um, I actually I do agree that it would have been it would be cool to see for, uh, future seasons of The Mandalorian keep to these kind of new characters and stay in its own slightly sep- you know separated uh, world. But I also think um, if you let that uh, let that series really open up and slowly expand. If you start small and then brick by brick build that until it's um, uh, kind of taking up a lot of space in the in the Star Wars saga, then I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah, I think that's going to be cool. All right, now um, of course Dave Filoni is one of the most important cogs in the wheel. Of the star of the Mandalorian TV series, and his name has been, uh, you know, in the uh, in the minds of fans a lot recently because of the return of the Clone Wars uh, and his involvement with the Mandalorian. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Dave Filoni. So, um, like most people, I think that um, if you think back to two thousand and eight. Uh, when I was sitting next to Jabba the Hutt. Um, Dave was instantly likable. And um, I think for, you know, all Star Wars fans, this was pretty, like a similar feeling to Jason Newstead joining Metallica. It was like, wow, one of us made it. You know, because Jason, he loved Metallica. So like, that was his favorite band. And, um, so, you know, uh, we kind of like when he joined that, well, I wasn't into Metallica at the time, but this is, I think it, it con it continued on that. Like we, we always loved Jason because he was like, he was one of us and he's kind of just, you know, regardless of, um, everything that happened within Metallica or how things went with them music wise. Uh, we, I think everyone always appreciated Jason because he still had that burning kind of like love for the band in the way that we all have. Um, and I think it's similar with Dave Filoni. He, 
was a you know he was a a fan like us, and so that that really appealed to us. And um, I think that the fact that uh, he can speak about Star Wars in a way in the same way that uh, re- like the hardcore fans talk about Star Wars, not that he knows every single little thing about every book that's ever been published and blah blah blah, but um, he is like. You know he he loves it, and he does know uh, a lot of the you know the the a lot of the uh, plot stuff. And um, when you get to hear him talk about uh, Star Wars, you really you get you also get the feeling that he understands it on um, all the other levels that Star Wars operates at. Um, having said that, um, it's weird, like. You know, when I kind of cast my mind back to those early Clone Wars days and how, you know, how fond I was of Dave Filoni, it, I, like, I have to say, like, recently, like, Dave Filoni getting mentioned gets a bit of a rise out of me. Now, it's nothing to do with Dave Filoni, Filoni himself. It's everything to do with internet dickheads um, saying stuff like, why is Kathleen Kennedy running Lucasfilm? It should be Dave Filoni. Well, um, Kathleen Kennedy has been involved in the production of countless Hollywood mega hits. And Dave Filoni has never made even one feature film. So maybe that's got something to do with it, guys. Um, I also like, I mean, I have to say... I. Okay, let's think about the Clone Wars for a second. There's a lot of stuff I love about it. There's a lot of stuff I don't really like about it. But when you look at the things that I that I don't love as much, it tends to be stuff that is pretty much uh, coming from George. Uh, it's set in the prequel era, not my favorite era. That was George. That was George's decision, of course. That or that's the era that it's set in. So that that was not uh, Dave Filoni who decided that. Um, it was for the first three seasons, uh, not in chronological order. Again, this was George wanting to jump around the timeline, telling stories he wanted to do. Um, uh, then, uh, yeah, there were certain arcs in the Clone Wars that felt pretty disposable. Uh, but of course, if you know your Clone Wars, you know that all those stories came from George. Uh, there was, of course, the um, the hard work of um, fleshing out the stories and writing the scripts and all that other stuff was Dave and his team. But the original story ideas, the ori- the the overall arcs came straight from George. So if there was an arc where um, he had droids wheeling around in the desert or you know like just like for hours that was george you know or they like the poison the poison juice arc or whatever that was i you know there's a lot of there's chunks of the clone wars that you you don't really have to watch unless you really want to you know and it feels a bit like oh it's wasted time again these were George's stories, so nothing to do with Dave Filoni. Um, 
But of course, then you got to think about Rebels. I think Rebels had some real strong strong points. Uh, a nice like core set of characters, chronological order, uh, set in an era that I like. You know, it's set during you know the height of the Empire. Um, it has some brilliant moments and great arcs. It also has some stuff that feels a bit, um, yeah, inessential or even, you know, stuff that, you know, like people always praise Filoni for getting it. He gets Star Wars. He knows what Star Wars is supposed to be. But when you put stuff like heli sabers in an episode, I feel like that's... Ah, it was a kid's show. You got to remind yourself of that. I'm sure probably kids look at that and went like, whoo-hoo, that looks awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah. there. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, that show was um, exactly non-stop hits. But overall, again, I mean, Dave worked on pro- possibly my favorite TV show of all time, Avatar The Last Airbender. So, got to love Dave. But... Um, yeah, you know, like when you love something and if people are like uh, criticizing it, you get all defensive. So people who kind of like, you know, I hear all this like, oh, the Clone Wars is like, it's what the sequel trilogy should have been or the sequel trilogy doesn't make me feel anything. Clone Wars is what gets me the, it gives me the feels. And I just feel like, like, I don't feel that way at all. Like I that last... Um, uh, Ark of the Clone Wars or was a banger, but it still didn't come even cl- like it didn't came come close to my least favorite of the Disney films. Yeah, so uh, delicious Swedish water. Yeah, I love Dave. Um, I would hug the dude if I could. Um, I get a bit frustrated with other people holding him up as some kind of savior for star wars when i think that he has super much to offer but not all the answers uh, in terms of the films uh now but what i want to share with you guys is um I, i mean this clip has been referred to or played on a number of podcasts at this point uh i'm not um I'm not coming up with anything particularly groundbreaking here by wanting to uh, kind of focus on this um, piece of Dave Filoni awesomeness. So in the first episode of the Disney Gallery behind the scenes Mandalorian behind the scenes thing, uh, Dave gets into um, a thing about uh, the duel between Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Maul in episode one. Uh, of course, the the musical piece that accompanies it is, uh, you know, one of the greatest pieces of Star Wars music ever, Duel of the Fates. And Dave actually refers to that, um, that duel itself as Duel of the Fates. And, um, you know, as someone who... Uh, I don't love the prequels, but I'm always uh, happy to find something that I like about them or, um, you know, something that helps me appreciate a- a different aspects of them as well as, uh, as, well as I can. And um, this uh, kind of, I guess, you, what do you call it? A monologue <laughs> f- 
from Dave about um, what is going on behind that um, behind that amazing duel. It's fantastic. So we're going to take a listen to that. Uh, you'll have to excuse, um, there's a bit of a buzz on it due to my technical um, uh, shortcomings, I guess you would say. But um, strap in for this. It's super good. Here we go. I love the lightsaber fight with Darth Maul, not because it's a lightsaber fight, but because George is so good at crafting why that fight's important mm. every time. Like, you know, the Obi-Wan-Darth Vader fight isn't like the most wonderfully staged necessarily combat that you're ever gonna see, but there's so much at stake. It's so meaningful when Obi-Wan dies that we all feel like Luke. In Phantom Menace, you're watching these two Jedi in their prime fight this evil villain. Maul couldn't be more obviously the villain. He's designed to look evil and he is evil. And he just expresses that from his face all the way out through the type of lightsaber he fights with. What's at stake is really how Anakin's gonna turn out because Qui-Gon is different than the rest of the Jedi. And you get that in the movie and Qui-Gon is fighting because he knows he's the father that Anakin needs because Qui-Gon hasn't given up on the fact that Jedi are supposed to actually care and, and love and that that's not a bad thing. The rest of the Jedi are so detached and they've become so political that they've really lost their way. Mm -hmm. And Yoda starts to see that in the second film. But Qui-Gon is ahead of them all. And that's why he's not part of the council. So he's fighting for Anakin. And that's why it's the duel of the fates. It's the fate of this child. And depending on how this fight goes, Anakin is gonna, his life is gonna be dramatically different. So Qui-Gon loses, of course. So the father figure, because he knew what it meant to take this kid away from his mother when he had an attachment, and he's left with Obi-Wan. Yes. There we go. So, man, I, I feel like there's like so much packed in there. Um, I love that concept that um, that Qui-Gon realizes what this child needs, what the potential of this child is and what this child needs to reach that potential in a healthy and safe way. And that... Um, uh, Qui-Gon represents this um, uh, kind of positive path that's in front of Anakin and that Maul represents the other side of it and that they are fighting over the fate of this child who is not just the child but the, the key to, um, to everything in the galaxy. And um, what he says about the fact that Obi-Wan has not, um, you know, thrown away this idea that the Jedi should, uh, should care and, and, and have love for other people. And that the Jedi of that era were, were, were flawed. They got it wrong. That they were so um, kind of cold and detached that... Um, it was actually it was working against them it wasn't uh, they weren't achieving what they could what they could have been achieving which is to really help people um and you actually see that idea um explored a little bit in the the arc of the clone wars in season 7 with the sisters where uh, the sisters talk about how um their parents were killed by accident in an altercation that involved Jedi and that the Jedi weren't there to support them afterwards. 
so that was really interesting. Um, I think, you know, I remember in the years kind of after the Phantom Menace coming out, you know, we were kind of frustrated <laughs> with it. And um, one of the things that kind of occurred to me that I felt was a bit of a failing was that um, if you look at the original trilogy, all the lightsaber battles are based around a, a relationship and dialogue. There is a conversation going on. There's fighting, yes, but the core of what's happening is a conversation between the, between the people. And in The Phantom Menace, you basically have Maul turn up out of nowhere. They don't know who he is, what he wants, really, except maybe he's probably trying to kill the, the queen, maybe, I don't know. Um, he looks evil, and he's got a lightsaber. Let's fight. It felt a bit, to me like a fight that was thrown in just to have a lightsaber fight. And it's, I mean, it's ultra cool. It's one of the best lightsaber fights in the saga, as everyone knows. It's fantastic. But I felt that without any kind of relationship between the combatants, without any kind of um, conversation going on there, it felt a bit... Um, yeah, just there for the sake of a fight. And uh, I didn't love that. But actually what Dave Filoni says here is fantastic. Uh, that Qui-Gon uh, uh, was Anakin's father figure. I mean, you have to kind of assume, you know, Anakin's grown up with his mom and he's got Watto in his life who's a very, you know, an unhealthy kind of... Uh, male presence in his life and that potentially Qui-Gon was going to be that uh, that kind of father figure that Anakin had been missing and knew that uh, this was the case and that it was important that Qui-Gon be there to um, guide Anakin in, uh, through his through his uh, kind of uh, the you know journey to adulthood and Maul was there to tear that all away and of course Maul was successful and uh, as he says there in the end that uh, Anakin was left with Obi-Wan who just uh, just wasn't the right person to be a father figure to him but was more like a brother which was not what was needed so yeah I'm yeah I'm super happy that Dave's involved of course with the Star Wars uh with Star Wars still to this day and going forward. Um, I don't think that he's the answer to everyone's questions like some people think. Um, I think that he, episodes of The Mandalorian that he directed were two of the weakest. Um, and uh, I just, uh, you know, I think that they have to put the time into him to get him up to kind of like uh, live action speed if he's going to do live action. Um, but, you know, once he's on his feet, he could do a really great stuff. All right, more behind the scenes stuff I want to look at. This time we're going to go back to uh, GL himself, George Lucas. Um, basically, I, I wanted to raise this for two reasons. One, um, it's always fun to hear about the process uh, by which these films were made and great to hear um, 
more about George and his struggles, basically. Because, you know, when, when you hear about the, this guy who basically hit the biggest artistic home run ever, almost, you know. Um, when, you, when you see that there was so much struggle behind that, it, it can help you to... Um, to uh, be a bit more at peace with um, the fact that you are struggling in your own life. Because guess what? We all struggle. And it's part of it. This is, um, you know, muscles don't get stronger unless they are worked and put up against weights. And I think that, um, you know, spiritually we don't grow or get stronger unless we're put up against adversity. And, um, yeah, George was no different. And the fact that he created, you know, something that has become an indelible part of uh, of culture around the world, you know, that doesn't mean that he, he didn't do it hard. <laughs> so I want to read uh, some sections from a fantastic book that I'm uh, making my way through at the moment. It's called How Star Wars Conquered the Universe. It's by Chris Taylor, I believe. Um and I'm going to be focusing on some of the sections talking about George Lucas uh, in the writing period, the writing process, I should say, for uh, A New Hope. All right. This is kind of a fun part. Uh, George actually had a writing discipline when he was trying to get this thing done. Here we go. Let's take a, take a listen. Back home, he retreated to the writing tower at 8 every morning. His goal was five pages every day. When he finished, his reward was music on the world to jukebox. Usually he got one page done by 4 p.m. and reached the rest of his target out of sheer panic in the next hour. In time for the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite. <laughs> yeah, I can kind of uh, relate to that. I think we've all been, uh, you know forced to uh, do homework and stuff in that uh, in that kind of a, a pattern but i think what's really interesting is that he had a like a kind of a set writing discipline he didn't uh sit around watching tv waiting for the to feel right or waiting for uh, inspiration to hit him or whatever he basically like a normal job said all right eight to five that's my work hours and i'm working and I'm going to be producing. Um, I think that, um, you know, I've, I've experienced that myself where sometimes if you're a bit low on inspiration, you feel like, well, that's it. I'm done. Like, I I have no ideas. Nothing's going to happen. Like, I just have to wait for this, for something to come along and to feel right. Um, but you can actually, like, begin by forcing it out. And you know what? Something's going to come out that you can actually go, ooh, that's a 90% of this sucks pretty hard, but that 10% right there, that could be something. And boom, off you go. You expand on that and you've got something worthwhile. Um, here we go. Let's hear some more of uh, fun with George. The horror of writing a second draft seemed almost too much to bear. Lucas had been getting stomach pains from the tension of writing. Quote, you beat your head against the wall and say, why can't I make this work? He recalled a decade later. Why aren't I smarter? Why can't I do what everyone else can do? See, that's interesting. Why can't I do what everyone else can do? 
that's always how it appears from the outside. I remember as a kid, it seems so ridiculous. I remember I, I was really upset. How old was I? Maybe 12 or something? I remember saying, Mom, it's not fair. Other people are good at things, you know. They've got some talent, something that they're good at. What am I good at? Nothing. <laughs> Look at Tony Hawk. He's really good at skateboarding. Just like, yeah, yes, little Tom. Do you know how he got good at skateboarding? By practicing. Oh, my poor mum having to put up with that. Mm. So I, I thought that was uh, super interesting. Here's some more. Quote, you go crazy writing, Lucas said decades later. You get psychotic. You get yourself so psyched up and go in such strange directions in your mind that it's a wonder all writers aren't put away someplace. You can just get so convoluted in what you're thinking about that you get depressed, unbearably depressed, because there's no guideline. No guideline. You don't know if what you're doing is good or bad or indifferent. It always seems bad when you're doing it. It seems terrible. It's the hardest thing to get through. Wow. Yeah. So, um, yes, I think, you know, George, thanks for everything you did. Bye. Yeah, it's it's pretty fun to hear that um, even for that creative genius, it wasn't just um, picking up a pen and letting it flow. It was a lot of sweat and hard work involved. All right. Now, it's time to get into uh, that part of the show where we go scene by scene through a movie. We're still on The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, I'm trying a new setup today where um, I'm actually going to be playing it on my TV with the Blu-ray player. Um, I'm going to pause it one second to get that set up because it keeps turning itself off. And um, then we'll be ready to roll. Here we go. All right, last time, uh, actually, we skipped a couple of weeks because we had uh, fun guests, and, but last time, I believe that um, we uh, left off with that moment when Kylo Ren grabs Rey's necklace, and um, yeah, they get into this um, this thing where... Um, yeah, they've had it analyzed, so they 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 know where it's going to be. You've got uh, Allegiant General Pride looking spooky and cool. I love that. Oh, this is great. This moment. <laughs> Pause. We're pausing it right there. Okay. People talking about like the movie was too fast paced. I yeah, it was. But I just remember as this stuff was just hitting like moment after moment. Bam, bam, bam. Uh, this was another one of those bam moments. Um, you know, like the First Order has worked out where they are. They've um, There's patrols already on the planet because of the festival. And uh, they, they, they call it in. So the patrols are looking for them. And they get seen, you know, one of their troopers sees them. And then you just, bam, you get that... Um, that crossbow bolt right through, <laughs> right in the eye. Um, at this point, Stormtrooper armor, you just have to uh, accept that it's uh, not particularly useful, but that's part of the Star Wars magic, people. Great. 
Um, I, I love the, the timing of it. It was f fantastic. Let's keep going. We've got uh, this character that would later re reveal uh, its identity. It's a great outfit, a great costume. If you look at the um, if you look at the art of the Rise of Skywalker, you get to see um, some other um, versions, earlier versions of uh, that outfit, and they were all cool. Man, I would I would love a top quality two D animation Star Wars animation set in this era with all. I mean, there's Endless backlogs of unused amazing designs in all those art of books. Put them to good use. All right, this uh, vehicle, it's like a tracked, it's like, a, it's like the wheels of a tank, but with no tank on it. Super cool design as well. Um, I love, I mean, the, 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 the kind of the set design on all this stuff. There's so much, like, there's so much texture to it and so much detail in it. I just um, <laughs> really uh, set the, the locations, they really sell it. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, again, the silliness of Star Wars strikes perfectly. This is super good. Um, Lando slides open that little thing to talk to the driver and the driver, like, it looks like Basically, like a turtle head with glowing eyes on a long neck. Okay, that's Star Wars genius. Um, I, I'm so into it. Like I've said this, I mean, multiple times, that um, silliness is one of the key ingredients to successful Star Wars. All right, that leads us to the reveal of Lando. You know what? I, I didn't pick it at all when I was watching the film. Um, man, I'm an easy mark for, for filmmakers sometimes. You know, a lot of people, I think their brains are switched on when they watch films. I'm not one of those people. It's not like I'm like drooling on my shirt or anything, but I, I'm happy for the filmmakers to uh, lead me in the way that they want to do it, you know. So... Um, yeah, when Lando pulled the helmet, I was, I was like, aha, it's Lando, that's nice. I didn't necessarily predict that. Uh, but he looks cool. That voice, that cup of hot tea with lots of honey in it, fantastic. <laughs> it's so nice, you know, like it, it's an honor general. They really like look up to this guy. Um... Again, you know, there's a little bit of, um, you know, a lot of information packed in a, into a short amount of time and a lot of people wondering, like, is, you don't want to tell us more about this? You know, him and Luke looking for uh, this uh, Wayfinder and, uh, you know, a bit more, they, people would have liked a bit more information about Ochi, um, the Jedi Hunter or whatever is, you know, whatever they call him. I mean, it's pretty much um, exposition. Get to hear the TIE fighter sound. Never uh, never unwelcome. Lando drops that. Uh, I got a bad feeling about this. Uh, I like this. Uh, <laughs> Man, Lando and Chewie, they're good friends. They didn't start off that way, but they got there in the end. Man. This uh, Give Leia My Love. And Ray 
You should tell her yourself. Yeah. Lando does that little look of like, kind of searching his feelings, searching his soul. Like, should I get back in, you know, I felt like I was done with all this. Should I really get back into it? Uh, we get this like start of this whole thing of like um, Poe doing, you know, slightly criminal stuff and Finn being like, what's up with that? I don't know. Like, it's one of those things where I think if Poe, um, you know, was able to hotwire those speeders and seal them, I wouldn't have even questioned it. It just seems like, you know, the kind of guy. All right. I'm going to cut there and get it. This speeder chase rules. When I saw it, you know, bits of it in like trailers and whatever, I was like, well, oh, it seems fine, I guess. It's going to be like a not particularly memorable, but totally fine action scene. But I love it. I, these, um, these tracked speeder bikes, as they cut through the sand, looks killer. Um, yep, these, uh, I mean, I just think they get the, the kinetic energy so right. I love the, um, the jetpack troopers. Uh, that's a really, like, a cool idea. Um, and I love how they launch off the back. I think it's one of those... You know, that classic Star Wars thing of, of melding, like, really, like, futuristic technology with this real kind of, like, almost retro uh, kind of thing. The, uh, the, the, the landscapes are fantastic, you know. Uh, all this, this stuff from Jordan looks fantastic. BB-8 with the great uh, shooting that thing in the air with the smoke and the dust. I've oh, got to pause it for a second there. The way... Um, Ray just pulls out that blaster and nails that uh, that speeder when it's in midair. He's super good. Um, some people just look cool with guns. Sorry, that's the truth of it. I mean, Han Solo is like kind of the king of that, at least in the Star Wars universe. He just, when people hold it at just the right angle with the right, you know, the right amount of tightness or looseness to make to make it look cool. Um, Ray is good. Ray looks good. Uh, she she does a good job of it, man. I I like that. Um, yeah, we get a call back to that. Never under it, underestimate a droid. There's these shots of them like flying through the canyons, and I've heard people say like, "Oh, there's a bit of a callback to um, the uh, pod race in episode one." I guess that could have been. I don't know. Maybe. I'm not sure about that. It's a it's a chase on a desert. I don't I don't know how you don't do that, but. Hey, people desperate for a bit of uh, prequels uh, reference, then uh, might have been happy with that. This may be a weird comment, but there's... Okay, we're coming up to this spot where um, Finn throws the rope, which gets... Yeah, that's a good woo. I wish I could woo like Finn does. But anyway... I. I I'm going to pause it there. There's this thing where, yeah, they, he throws the rope and it gets caught up in the tracks and then they kind of, he gets Poe to spin the speeder to smash the um, the first order speeder, speeder into some rocks or whatever. Uh, that looks it's super cool. There's something about that movement, that uh, visual ballet that I really respond to that works really good. But then just the way that the speeder continues its spin around and then continues on its way to me, looks a tad slow. I feel like that 
that timing is perfect until that moment. And then I'm just like, ah, he should have just, they should have whipped it a little bit harder to come out of that, uh, that move. Would have been cool. All right. This, we're coming up on this, uh, I mean, you get to see Ochi's ship there. That's a cool design. Man, I, I don't know who designed them. I think it was Jake Lunt Davies, maybe. Davis? Davies? Can't remember. Um, did a great job with that design. I like that a lot. The speed is getting smashed. They end up in the in the in the quicksand. Who's gonna nail this uh, this uh, this jetpack trooper? Is it looks like Chewie to me. Okay, this is ridiculous sound, isn't it? Ah, you missed it. But um, at first I actually thought that was the trooper screaming, and I was like, whoa, they really um stepped on the gas on the comedy uh, on in the comedy car on that one. Uh, but on uh, subsequent viewings, it became clear that that, that was that was uh, not the guy screaming <laughs> in a ridiculous way. It was a, it was the sound of the jetpack, which uh, probably is a good option. And we get this um, moment where Finn, as he is getting sucked into the quicksand, says, "Ray, I never told you." And yeah, I mean. One of the sub 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 plots of this film is Finn coming to realize that he too is force sensitive. Um, it's come out in interviews and whatnot that uh, this was a, uh, the idea here was that Finn was trying to tell her that. Um, I think why it is a bit confusing because I'm not sure that would be the first thing that would spring to mind if I was on you know facing certain death. I'm not sure if I would have felt like that was the thing I had to. Get off my chest. A lot of people felt like, he's he's going to say that he loves her. That's when he says, oh, I love you, Ray. It did feel that like that. That's the kind of moment you would say something like that, I think. Um, rather than, hey, I'm, I also feel this funny force thing. No. Uh, retrospectively, we, we know that it was not anything about romance between the two. All right, we're going to pause it right there. That's it. We got a cool scene to get back to. Um, when uh, we get back to this on the next episode, all right, we are gonna st we're gonna stop right there. And um, yeah, fun times. Good to talk Star Wars again after a little bit of a rest after that big Star Wars week. Um, man, there it, it's crazy to me to think like. The Mandalorian rolls on. The Cassian show is on its way. That's going to feature Mon Mothma. That's cool. We have, you know, the, I, I talked about that on another episode, how, like, the opportunities there are massive. We've got, um, uh, I can't remember her name, the, the showrunner from Ru Russian Doll. Her TV series has been announced. So that's three at least. Um, we didn't mention it before, but there's also a, a big rumor that there is a live-action Ahsoka series in development. Wouldn't surprise me if that was hers. Uh, part of the Lucasfilm press release was that it would be a uh, female-centric show. So that would fit. Um, it's just, as I've said before, my appetite for Star Wars knows no bounds. If As long as it's good... Um, you know, 
I think that's a low-calorie snack that you can eat a lot of. <laughs> All right, everybody. Awesome. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time on Star Wars Fun for Everyone, especially me. Hey!